Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Wouldn't you have loved to hear Jesus preach? Like in, in the flesh, walking around Israel, listening to Jesus himself share the words of God. We, we read in the scriptures that, uh, that many, of, in fact, all who heard Jesus preach were astonished. What about the miracles of Jesus? Wouldn't you have loved to just witness firsthand Jesus healing the sick or giving sight to the blind or seeing a paralytic man get up and walk and run and jump and shout and leap with joy? The resurrection of Lazarus. I would have liked to have seen that one. What about the prophecies of Jesus? Imagine hearing Jesus, God himself, prophesy about his coming kingdom being established here on earth as it is in heaven. The Samaritan woman, hearing what Jesus had to say to her. What about Jesus' deliverance ministry? That would have been something to behold, I'm sure. It blows me away that the disciples, those who lived life with Jesus, the 12 men and the women that were around him, that that's witnessed all of these things, that the one and only thing they asked Jesus to teach them is to teach them how to pray. They come to Jesus after witnessing all of his public and private life, and they come to Jesus, and they, the only time we get a question from them of teach us, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And that really, that question is revelatory in nature. It, it means that they understood that Jesus' public life was fueled by his private life of intimacy and prayer and communion with his Father in heaven. It was, if the, it was as if they saw his life and his ministry and his miracles and his power, and they, they connected the dots and it's, they witnessed his private life and prayer, and they said, hey, if we want what everyone else is experiencing and encountering publicly, if we want that in our own lives, what we need is what you do in the private. We need your prayer life. Because it's from Jesus' prayer life that all of the rest of his life flows. In fact, we see that uh, Jesus' emphasis and priority of prayer not only consumed his private life, but Jesus' emphasis on prayer actually consumed his public life as well. As he proclaimed the message of the kingdom, he taught on prayer over and over again. In Jesus' first and last public teaching, he spoke on prayer. His first teaching being the the Sermon on the Mount, if you know that passage of Scripture, and his last teaching being that called the uh, Olivet Discourse. And in Jesus' first and last public address, he talks on prayer. Now think of any public official. Think of a president or a CEO of a new Uh, kind of high-end company. No matter how good or how poor or how boring and average someone's first and last address publicly is, that is more often or not the things that we remember most about that person, right? 
someone comes into a presidency and their first public address, they would kind of try and address some of the issues that are at hand, maybe calm the nerves of the people, kind of set a tone for what their public life is going to look like. And on their way out of presidency in their final public address, they're trying to kind of sum up the last couple years as a bookend to their works. So they would prioritize something really important to them. Well, it's interesting that Jesus prioritizes prayer in both his first and last public address. Altogether in the Gospels, which are the accounts of Jesus' life, we see no less than 175 verses on prayer alone. So we see that this was not a side issue for Jesus. Prayer is not something that a few committed, mature, boring people did on the side or before the real stuff happens. Prayer was front and center of everything that Jesus did and taught about, both for him personally and for those around him that he was discipling corporately. Now today, the body of Christ, the church globally, is filled with courses and training programs and seminars on a variety of issues from finance and relationships and marriage and all sorts of weird and wonderful and amazing things. And they're all good, they're amazing. And we get courses on prayer and those are good and fine as well. But where is the school or the seminar, the church, that prioritizes prayer like Jesus did? You know, where are the leaders whose lives we uh, follow or look at with interest that when we observe their lives or we follow them around or observe their teachings, that causes something within us to cry out, hey, teach us to pray. Ian Bounds, the great preacher and, and, and author on prayer, he says, let it not be forgotten that prayer was one of the great truths which he, Jesus, came into the world to teach and illustrate. It, prayer, was worth a trip from heaven to earth to teach men this great lesson of prayer. It was worth Jesus getting off his throne, putting on human flesh, God becoming a man to come and teach us about prayer. So the disciples said, teach us to pray. And if that is the primary question that the disciples come to Jesus with, we need to ask ourselves as we wanna be men and women who be with Jesus, become like him and do the very things that Jesus did. If people observe the life of Jesus and the what came out of them was teach us to pray. We need to ask ourselves, when people spend time with you and with me, do they ask us the question, hey, Brian, why, can you please teach us to pray? Will other people see our lives or see our church and ask the same question that the disciples asked Jesus, hey, guys, can you teach us to pray? So let's look at what Jesus says to them when he teaches them to pray. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus gives us this model for prayer. Notice though, that Jesus does not get to asking for things, things like give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, uh, you know, lead us not into temptation. Jesus does not get to asking until about halfway through this model prayer that he gives us. Now most of us, if we were to whittle down our prayer lives, 
The reality is, is that, and it's not a bad thing. We're actually invited to ask for things, ask, knock, seek. But most of us, what it really comes down to in our prayer lives is that we just kind of ask God for stuff. That's the only time we talk to him. God, I need this, I want this, help me with this. And so we have this like kind of shopping list, right? And it's not bad. We are asked and and instructed and invited to ask God for things. And it's oftentimes in asking God for stuff that we see his hand move. We partner with him and bring heaven to earth through our prayers. I'm all about that. We'll talk about intercession next week. But it does often feel like our entire prayer lives are summed up by a shopping list that we read to Santa Claus who lives in the sky. But Jesus, before he even gets there, He invites us to know and enter into the reality that God is our Father. Quote from line number one, our Father. That is Jesus' favorite name for God, by the way. He uses it in prayer over and over and over again. In prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer. Father, my Father, Abba Father. Jesus thought of God as his Father, and get this, He wants you and me to do the same. When he teaches us about prayer, he says, our Father. He's inviting you and me into this reality that God himself is our Father. Now, before we move on, I I, kind of want to just address, I know how hard this reality can be for some of us. You know, for me personally, I have an amazing dad and I have a good relationship with my dad. Uh, and he's approachable, he's kind, uh, he is, has always been there for me in my life. He's provided for me, supported me. And so for me to view God through the lens of Father is honestly not a difficult task for me personally because if I view God through the lens of which my experience with my dad has been, you know, it's a pretty positive one, but that's not the case for everyone. And I just want to address that and note that for a moment. Because for some of you, this idea that God is Father, you've had a really difficult time with your Father. Maybe your dad hasn't always been there for you. Maybe this reality means, well, if God's a Father, my experience of Father is someone who left me, someone who wasn't approachable. And I just want to acknowledge that for a moment because I know that with the breakdown of the family over the last couple decades, there are many people who experience father wounds in our day. I was a high school geography teacher before I stepped into full-time ministry, and I remember one year that my, um, my grade eight or eighth grade, let's, let's be American, my eighth grade uh, class, there were 20-odd kids in the class. No less than 50% of the kids in my eighth grade class uh, came from divorced homes. Now, not everybody that comes from a divorce home has a a deep father wound, but the point being that the breakdown of the family has caused many of us to have a view of fatherhood and our experience of fatherhood that affects the reality of how we relate to God as father. I just want to acknowledge that and just say that if that is you, it may take a while for you. you. You may need to go on an emotional or a spiritual journey, maybe some counseling, to get to the place where you are able to recognize God as Father as being something that's like approachable and helpful. But I just wanna say this morning that it is worth every painful step to get the reality of God as Father into the rightful place in your mind and heart because 
that is the position from which Jesus invites us to come and enter with God of the universe, God as Father. And what I think Jesus is getting at here is basically this. What comes to mind when you think about God, who you pray to, your image and vision of God, his character and his person, will either make or break your prayer life. See, if, and he's saying, view God as a father, not as what we've experienced earthly as a father, but actually as a perfect father in heaven. John Tyson, the pastor preacher, he says, unless you break the stronghold of false images of God in your mind, you will never be drawn to pray. The angels, get this, have been locked in a room with God for thousands of years and they still haven't got past the word holy. Holy, 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 and they just go on, holy, holy, holy. If you are bored with God, you might be the person who is boring. Or it could just be that you are distracted by the trivia in our culture. When you break through the, that boredom, you'll be drawn to the glory of who God really is. Friends, prayer is not something we have to do. Prayer is something we get to do. We get to come to the Father in prayer. And the angels are stuck in a room with God and they're just shouting, holy. So think about it. If you think of God as a grumpy old man in the sky waiting to like hear you, you know, you won't want to pray. If you think of God as someone who's mad at you because I haven't heard from you in three days, where have you been? Like you haven't done your Lectio, shine up. We don't want to pray. If we think of God as the CEO of the universe, you know, standing back at a distance in his corner office, watching down from the, from the clouds, being like pulling the strings and being all sovereign and running the galaxy, again, not very appealing, Right? We will never want to pray. But Jesus reframes our thoughts about who God is because he knows that our vision and picture of God as Father will ignite us into a depth of intimacy in prayer. I'm a dad. I've got two beautiful little boys, seven and, and four, Judah and Caleb. They're amazing. And, and uh, I love them. We've got a great relationship. I'm earthly and sinful and I make tons of mistakes all the time. But like by and large, I think I'm doing an okay job at this point. They're young, we'll, you know, let's test in a few years' time. But uh, when, I, when I go out and I come home, uh, what's, what's kind of cool is if you know me, I'm, uh, well, anyway, I come through the door, open the door, and uh, like, like if, you, if you've spent any bit of time with me, you know I'm pretty quiet, like introverted person, and I don't make a lot of noise. That's a joke. I'm like so loud and every, like. So my entrance to the house is something like, uh, yo peeps, I'm home. And then it's, uh, this is the response, right? It's just like, my seven-year-old still calls me Dada, which is so amazing. My youngest could be like, gets his tongue tied up a bit and he'll call me Gug. So it's like, Dada, Gug. And then it's like, just like footsteps and then they like jump into my arms and it's really fun and like our loud uh, there he's smiling at the back uh, the, the, the sound of the doof 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 has got louder as the years go on as they get bigger and stronger and also our house here is hardwood floors on like a raised platform so it's quite a sound as they and also it's not very far because we have a really small house now so it's just like doof doof and then like into my arms <laughs> my point is this is my boys want to be with me because they know that they're loved 
and they know that I actually like them. Like, I like to be with them. It's really easy for me to be a dad of boys because uh, I like playing soccer and uh, basketball and reading books, and he's giving me a thumbs up. And uh, I like to watch Star Lego Star Wars. You really need to get into that because it's amazing. Um, I like to, you know, cuddle and tickle and wrestle. I like to do all of these things. I like to play sport inside and outside the house uh, to Caitlin's uh, you know, she gets upset about that sometimes. But we have a rule in our house that uh, you are allowed to, it's a, it's a ball, you're allowed to have balls in the house. And if you break something in the house while playing with a ball, like it's totally fine. No one's gonna get in trouble because uh, it needs to be a safe place. There's freedom there, right? Now, my boys are drawn to me because they know that I'm their father and they know that I have good intentions towards them. And I'm very quick to point that out sometimes, you know, like you see, I told you, you know, you should listen. But here's the thing, in the same way Jesus is telling us to look at God as our father, not only as someone who loves them and knows what's good for them, but someone that actually likes to spend time with us. He wants to play soccer with you inside and outside the house. He has good intentions towards us. Now in that passage that we read this morning in Luke's gospel, we hear the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. And in Matthew's gospel, Jesus starts off with this. He says, our Father. And it's really easy to skim past that as the kind of, um, you know, entry point to asking God for things. You know, like a kind of spiritual and heavenly handshake. Our Father, like ding dong at the door before we like get to like, it's an entry point to just, now we can ask God for a bunch of things that he can like do for us, Right? But that couldn't be further from the truth. The, the way we view God affects everything about everything. And the primary purpose of our lives, according to the very first statement of the Westminster Catechism that Isaac opened up the service with this morning, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And we kind of like glorify Him and like have this view of we'll glorify him and then he can do stuff for us. We have to actually glorify him and enjoy him forever. And so in light of that, every other line of the Lord's prayer is both preempted and primed by the opening words of adoration. That's our topic this morning, adoring God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Every other line and interaction in our lives, not only in prayer, but in all of worship, is our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. When Jesus told the disciples to address God in this way, that would have been a surprise to them, to say the least. They knew that the scriptures occasionally compared Yahweh, God, to Father, but they would never before have dared to address Him in such direct and familiar terms. But what Jesus is doing here is he's inviting the disciples and inviting you and me into, to step into a level of intimacy with God as our Father that we otherwise would never have imagined possible. They, the disciples, they would have envisioned God, and sometimes we do this as well, as scowling, you know, perpetually disappointed with us. Like you see Peter just like messing up in the Gospels all the time. Honestly, I can identify with him. Like you would think, God needs to be placated or persuaded or like give a sacrifice to say, I'm sorry for these things. And, but now if we vision and have a picture of God like that, then we would, honestly, I don't blame anyone from avoiding his gaze if we view him in this kind of distant, authoritative, scary way. 
But Jesus makes it really clear. If you know the parable of the prodigal son, we don't have time to get into that this morning, but the son goes off and he does a bunch of dumb stuff and then he comes back to the father and Jesus teaches us in this parable that God is a God who's extravagantly kind. A father who comes running out to be with us with his arms flung open whenever we approach him. You know, when I, when I open the door and I come home from a day out at work and I, and I have the announcements of, poops, I'm home, and uh, it's, doof, 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 and then a jump towards me. I don't stand there and they're like, <laughs> and then the kids like end up on the sidewalk. Like, yes, I'm like, like <laughs> you know, should, shouldn't trust me kind of thing. No, it's, I actually get down to their level, open my arms, pick them up and embrace them. God's not waiting for you to like sidestep you so you kind of fall on your face after doing some dumb stuff. He actually is like, wants to just get down to your level, get into your mess, pick you up, embrace you with his open arms. That's the God we have. Jesus assures us that Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel, the creator of the cosmos, the sustainer of the universe, you see like, drum roll, he's on our side. He loves us. He loves you. The deeper we receive our identity as dearly loved children, the greater our desire will be to spend time with God in prayer. And so we start to tell him uh, everything. We will, we will start to open up our lives to him. And then we will start to dare to even ask him for stuff. Because we know that as Jesus puts it in Matthew chapter 7, our Father in heaven loves to give good gifts to those who ask him. Isn't that amazing? God of the universe who has infinite resources, who actually created everything and his access to stuff has no end, that God wants to bless you. Like I want to bless my kids, but my, limit, my resources are so limited. God, who has infinite resources, wants to bless us. And so we can come into his presence with confidence. He is lovingly attentive to our needs. He's always pleased to see you and me. I'll throw myself in there. And he's predisposed to answer uh, the questions and the deep longings of our hearts. And Jesus is saying that the main point of prayer is not to ask God for stuff, which is great and we're allowed to do, but the main point of prayer is just to be with your Father who loves you and has good intentions for you. And so when we invite you into a place of prayer and encourage everyone to get into the prayer closet or your space of prayer or to cry out to God, we're not saying come and do something that's like really hard so we can make God happy with us so we can get a few like needs met. No, we're saying come and be with your father. The second thing that Jesus wants us to know is that God is as close up to, as the air against our skin. He says, our father, here it is, in heaven. Our father in heaven. Now, heaven is a really tricky word. When most people read the word heaven, they think of like this cloud city far off away where everyone is like really good at playing the harp. Like we're gonna go to heaven one day, we're gonna sit on a cloud, we'll like, twinkle the harp away. We'll go there when we die. But that word heaven, what it actually means, if you translate it from the original Greek, is air or sky. So hear it this way, our Father in the air. So think about it. The air is all around us, right? It's here. The air is here. 
and it's even up like close to us, but it's also inside our bodies. Like we need air to live. Okay, Jesus is saying that this is how close the Father wants to be with us. Like as close as the air up against our skin, inside of us, giving us life. John Mark Homer, he says, the damage done by thinking of heaven as a far off place in the future, rather than thinking about the heavens in the present, can't be put into words. Most of us don't feel close to God at all, close to God all the time, but we are. And then he goes on to say, this feeling that most people have of separation from God, it's legitimate, valid feeling, but I think it is a mental and an emotional illusion created by the distraction and disordered loves. God is all around us, friends. The reality is, is that God, there is nowhere that God is not. Augustine or Augustine, however you want to pronounce his name, uh, God, he says this, God is the reality whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. And Augustine goes on to say, God does not know how to be absent. So we have a father in heaven who does not know how to be absent, who is right up against our skin. He's all around us. And so when we think of God as a you know, mentally absent father or we feel like God is someone who's emotionally absent, uh, usually the problem isn't God. Usually the problem is us and our thoughts about God, our wrong vision or understanding of who God is as Father. Or it could just be, and we spoke about this last week, distraction, busyness, our phones. And so we're distracted from the reality that God is all around us. So Jesus is saying, point number one, the most important thing, God is your Father. Number two, God is as close up against us as the air against our skin. Not only in the future, but in the here and now. And then thirdly, the third thing we need to know is that the primary goal of prayer is joyful, grateful, worshipful enjoyment of the Father's company. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. That's it. Hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed, it's quite a tricky word, not something we use often. Like if you, you might say, Brian, that's a really nice flannel. Thank you, I got it this week. Um, trying to get my San Diego vibe on. And uh, you're not gonna come up to me and say, Brian, hallowed be your outfit. Like that's not how we talk, right? But that word hallowed, it basically means holy or set apart as holy. Now to be holy, it literally means to be unique or special, to be without parallel in the universe. So God is holy. He's unique, special, and without parallel. He is good, he is beautiful, he is true, unique, he is wonderful. There is no other being like God. Tim Keller, he says this, he says, to hallow God's name is to have a heart of grateful joy towards God. And even more, a wondrous sense of his beauty. Consider how different this is from the normal way we use prayer, just to get things. We may believe in God, but our deepest happiness and hope, hopes reside in things as in how successful we are or in our social relationships. We mainly pray when our careers or finances are in trouble or when some relationship or social status is in jeopardy. When life is going smoothly and our truest heart's treasures seem safe, it does not occur to us to pray. Seldom or ever do we spend sustained time 
praising God. We know God is there, but we tend to see him as a means through which we can get things to make us happy. For most of us, he has not become our happiness. Anyone else with me on that one? Like, don't raise your hands because my point is this. With hallowed be your name, Jesus is saying to us, he's saying to God, Father, I set you apart as holy in my life, as special, as unique, without parallel, beautiful, good, and true. And I set you apart as the emotional source of my well-being. It's in you that I find my purpose and meaning. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. There's this exquisite symmetry in the way that Jesus counterpoints the emphasis of the first four words of the Lord's Prayer and the second four words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. As as Bible scholar, scholar William Barclay says, this saves the idea of the fatherhood of God from all sentimentality and sets down in unmistakable terms the inexplicable obligation of reverence. There's this beautiful symmetry between father, my place before you as a child, and then this reverence that we come before a holy God in hallowed be your name. It's both and. Sometimes some of us get stuck in like the our father and we become so familiar and so kind of just um, over familiar with God. And some of us get stuck in the hallowed be your name and just only come in reverence. But Jesus is saying, hey, we come in both. See, many people struggle with prayer simply because they doubt whether God likes them. And so we don't come to him as father. But there are probably just as many people that fail with prayer because we fail to grasp the holiness of God. Because if we don't grasp the holiness of God, then we won't recognize the privileged position that we have as sons and daughters to enter into his presence. You see, we have a notion of divine love devoid of divine sovereignty or the other way around. And what ends up happening is we unintentionally unhallow God's name. And in losing the godness of God, we struggle with prayer because we fail to grasp this mind-blowing privilege of simply being in the presence of the living God. Like if we realize the privilege of what it is to enter into God's presence, honestly, our prayer rooms would have more people attending them than our Sunday gatherings. We would be praying every chance we get because of the holiness of God and the privileged position I have to enter into his presence. The Pete Gregg, he says, familiarity breeds apathy until we can barely be bothered to try. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Annie Dillard, he, she describes uh, the lunacy of such overfamiliarity when she says, does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or, as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? It is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should be wearing crash helmets. Ashes should issue uh, life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. Now, the first Christians, they didn't wear crash helmets, okay, when they came to like Sunday worship. And I'm not saying we should be doing that. But there certainly was this understanding within the early church 
where they understood the sovereignty of God in a way that we either won't or don't or just can't. Scan the narrative of the book of Acts, the early church. Or read up upon the doxologies of Pastor Paul. Or read the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and see the apocalypse of John. Okay, pretty weird and wonderful. But go read that. And you'll quickly come to the same conclusion I did in that their God, the God of the disciples, the God of the book of Acts, the God of Revelation, their God is much bigger than ours. It's the same God, but their God is bigger than ours. They knew how to kneel in holy reverence before a king. They understood the fear of the Lord and the reverence that he deserves while fully grasping their identity as children of God as well. It was both and. Theologian A.W. Tozer says, there is no greater hindrance to a life of prayer than wrong thoughts about God. The heaviest obligation laying upon the Christian church today is to purify and elevate her concept of God until it is once more worthy of him and of her. Friends, I believe there is so little prayer in so many of our lives and so many of our churches because our view of God is too small. Our God is glorious. Let me tell you about God. He is glorious. He is beautiful. He is good. And he cannot be improved upon. It's so many of us are so disconnected from this reality. Our low view of God then manifests itself in our prayer lives. If you want to see what is my view of God, how do I um, evaluate my view of God? Evaluate your prayer life. That'll tell you what you think about God. Like that'll tell you what you really think about God. Like Israel, in the scriptures, we fail to recognize that God is a great king who is worthy of our time, our energy, our service, our love, our finances, and our worship. This is why developing a strong and a faithful life of prayer must begin with changing our thoughts about God. The Bible is filled with revelation and revelation about God's nature and character, his true nature. He is merciful. This is your father. He is merciful. He is long-suffering. He is patient. He is faithful. He is compassionate. He is jealous over you. He is an all-consuming fire, and he, he is love. He is rich in mercy. He is generous. He is, provides for us in unmistakable ways. He is overflowing in abundance towards you and me. He is a kind father. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is present everywhere. He is eternal. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and he is the end. He is meek and humble and just and righteous. He is uncreated. Like God has no beginning and he has no end. He is eternally powerful and eternally wise. I feel like we should be getting a little bit more excited about that. <laughs> Friends, we're not supposed to know Jesus just as someone who simply meets our needs and gives us stuff. We're supposed to know Jesus as the one who overflows my heart. An all-consuming Father who loves me, who overwhelms the depths of who I am with love and mercy and grace. 
And so what I believe we need to do in the Christian church today is in the words of one of the songs that we sang earlier where we spoke about waking up our souls. And if we turn our attention to the prophets, Mumford and Sons, we need to awaken our souls. We need to stop and we need to talk to our very soul. And we need to, need to say, my soul, Brian, your soul, awaken. Awaken my soul. Marcus Mumford tells us that our souls were meant to meet our maker. Even the secular world is telling our souls that our home is found in the presence of the Father. Friends, if we come into the Father's presence and adoration fails to erupt out spontaneously from our hearts, then we need to stop, take hold of your own soul, shake it, wake it up, and say, come into the reality uh, that you are in the presence of the living God. Sometimes I stand up and worship, and quite honestly, I just don't feel like singing. Like getting to church, I've got my kids running up and down here right now. It's like distracting me. Caitlin. You know what? And sometimes I just sing. And sometimes you'll hear me from time to time as I say that I'm a little bit of an introvert. And so I just go like, and I just like shout out. Because I know that, I've said this to Caitlin before, there is something within me that just needs to come out and praise God. Like there is something in my being that just needs to come out. And you know what? Sometimes that's not so much like an emotional state that I'm in. And it's more about the fact that I need to consciously choose that my soul is gonna worship God. It's a, it's a decision of the will. It's grabbing hold of my own soul and saying, Brian, your soul, wake up, step into the reality of the presence of God and adore him. I love the way George MacDonald puts it in his book, The Diary of the Old Soul. He says, we who would be born again must indeed wake our souls unnumbered times a day and urge ourselves to live a, to ourselves to laugh with holy greed. This is precisely what David does in the Psalm, one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 103, where he says, praise the Lord, my soul. Notice who he's talking to. David's talking to his own soul. He's saying, praise the Lord, my soul. He's commanding his sluggish, tired, lazy, distracted soul to wake up and worship as he says, awaken my soul and bless his holy name, praise his holy name, worship his holy name. It's an act of the will. David is probably lying somewhere in the desert somewhere and he's just like, Saul, wake up, worship the Lord. Instead of waiting to worship until we feel like it, which quite honestly could be a little bit of time, we need to awaken our souls. The writer of Hebrews urges us to offer up a sacrifice of praise. It's not a sacrifice when you feel like it. What could be more sacrificial than praising God when you don't feel like it? It's relatively easy to, to like worship God and offer my sacrifice when I'm singing with like Isaac Gay up on the, I used to watch this guy when I was in Durban, we mates and I would be in the, our driveway working out, listening to worship songs by Isaac Gay on YouTube. <laughs> so I'm not even lying. Sean's smashing the drums and my heart's just like, that's, that's, there's no, that's easy. What about on like a miserable Monday morning when I don't feel like going to work? Soul awaken, praise the Lord. Honestly, I suspect that sometimes the unemotional worship, the kind that feels a bit forced or maybe even fake, 
is just really precious to God simply because it costs me something. There's a, there's a Zulu saying, Caitlin's going to laugh at me because my Zulu isn't very good. Zulu is the, one of the languages, the native languages from my homeland, South Africa. There's a little saying that the Zulu people live their lives around as a tribe. Which means, I'll do it again because that was pretty cool, right? I'm going to teach you Zulu. It means a person is a person through other people. Meaning that it's this idea of community. As we become more of a person when we do life with other people. This is so true when it comes to worship. Notice then the Lord's Prayer and when it comes to prayer. The entirety of the Lord's Prayer is written in the plural. The very first word is addressed as our Father in heaven, our Father. It's not my Father, it's not your Father, it's our Father. It's a family event, this. Give us today our daily bread. Give it, forgive us our sins. And so on. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we do so corporately. In community with other people. Not just personally or spontaneously, which is all good and we do that as well. But we also do it liturgically and in union as we come together with the saints all across the globe. The Global Christian Church, capital C Church, which we're part of as we enter into a story that is 2,000 years old, not just a couple months here at Light Church, as we gather with the saints in the body of Christ, we're not designed to hallow God's name all on our own, which is why we have prayer rooms, which is why we say, come and join us at 7 a.m. on a Tuesday morning as we come before God corporately and pray. We all need the encouragement, the challenge, the discomfort of actively praying participating in local worshiping communities and coming together in prayer. Francis of Assisi says, all who adore him must adore him in spirit and truth. And one day and day and night, let us direct our praises and prayers to him saying, our father who art in heaven. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna recognize God as father. Change our understanding that he is a dad who loves us. That he is as close to us as the air up against our skin. And we are going to adore him. Not only on our own, but also corporately. So let me lay out the next couple minutes for us. I'm going to invite you to stand in a moment. And we're going to corporately, in unison, liturgically, pray out the Lord's Prayer. And then we're going to praise whether you feel like it or not, awaken our souls to the reality that we have a God in heaven who loves us, who's here right now, Holy Spirit amongst us, and we're gonna break open the heavens to pour out his love upon our church. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.